Welcome to the PracReady podcast, Clinical Education in One Coffee. My name's Matt Cooper. I'm joined today by Craig Taylor. Morning, Craig. Morning, Matt. It really is one coffee today. I don't have mine. Yeah, well, it is. Absolutely. Now, um, Craig, we've received a question off the email, PracReady at gmail.com. Uh, from Amy, who's an osteo student. She just wanted us to talk about a bit of uh, self-care in regards to what some of the strategies we both implement to look after ourselves uh, as private practitioners. And I thought, what a brilliant topic to talk about. And let's, uh, we'll get straight into it. But I think, you know, it's a great question, Amy. That's something that you, you've really got to be considered. And, and as uh, clinicians, we hear it a lot from students who are worried before they even move into practice about burning out. Um, and it can be daunting to hear, you know, you know, you, you go from a student clinic to seeing three or four patients in a shift to an expectation where you'd be seeing, you know, 10 to 15 in a day. Um, there can be some worry. And I think the one thing that um, I, I want to implore all new graduates is that, you know, it's not as bad as you think um, and you will get used to it pretty quick. And realistically, depending where you work, you may not see that many patients in a day straight off the bat. Um, but when you certainly get to those levels of seeing, you know, big numbers of patients a day, um, there are some things that you definitely need to, need to do to look after yourself because at the end of the day, you are the most important person in that consultation. Yeah, and I think it's straight off the bat, like keeping yourself or trying to keep yourself in a, a physical uh, state to be able to, to treat for a period of time. And um, that could just be you know, making sure that you're looking after yourself from a nutrition point of view, from your own exercise point of view, um, and addressing your own any niggles that come up. Like mm. they're like just straight off the bat, they're three things that you can do super easy um, and stay on top of uh, before we get into some more of the specific yeah yeah exactly right and realistically it's whatever your habits were beforehand it's really important to keep that up and you know i you've exercised is one of those habits for example you know finding times to keep your training going if you play you know you play social tennis netball whatever it is you know maintaining that throughout and really really fighting for that i think you know if you you've just recently employed and you know, you know that you play netball on a Wednesday night and they want you to work till late on a Wednesday night, you might just fight to try and keep that because I think that's really important for yourself. Um, but it's also important to, to maintain friendships and these sorts of things also. Yeah, it, it can be really um, tough transitioning into practice in the first place and then if you start removing some of your regular outlets um, and, you again, you're going to despise your work for taking that away from you no one's going to be benefiting from that situation and i think the one thing you you do need to realize is you know when when you move out into private practice you might be working at multiple clinics and so one clinic may not know what you're doing at the other clinic and it really is up to you to communicate that Uh, one thing that i certainly did initially was work six days a week and i found that had a uh, it was okay but it, it it ran its race pretty quickly as well. You know, I found that having two days off back to back was really important. And, and so, you know, I, I would um, invariably work Saturdays, but be back at work on Monday. And so you, you needed to, I needed to find within a year or two pretty quickly that I needed to try and have at least two days off. And, yeah. and so whether that meant if I was working Saturdays, you know, I, I 
endeavoured to only work half a Saturday and then only half a Monday, so at least I had, you know, what felt like a decent break in between those sort of work weeks. Yeah, I really value my weekend time. I, I, I no bones about that. And I worked the first year and a, well, a year and a quarter on a Saturday morning and um, I really disliked doing that, but I did um, because I felt that the job I was in was a really good opportunity. Um but it wasn't sustainable, and I, I, I actually, I let them know that from day one. Like uh, in my interview, I said, "Look, I'm, I'll do it, but I'm not going to see this as a long term solution." Mm. And I haven't worked a Saturday since. I don't no. think. Yeah. Um, I just value that time, and for two reasons. First and foremost, I do a lot of activity. Um, that is the time where a lot of my friends who do similar activities are able to, like they, they work Monday to Friday. So um, it allows me to interact with them then. At that time, I also had the Monday off, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Had the Monday off. So I had two and a half days of uh, time off. But what I found was actually no one else has time off on a Monday. Monday. So yeah. I ended up having really lonely time on mm-hmm. a Monday. And that wasn't a positive experience. For, um, okay. I think now I'm a bit older. I think... It, it would be a different experience. Yes. But at the time I was young, you're looking to hang out with your friends and they're all working they're on a work, Monday. Yeah. And if the surf was no good, then you know, I didn't do it. Oh, uh, look, it's interesting. I've, I've, certainly, I've got friends who still still have the Sunday, Monday weekend, you know, and they, and they love that and they always have and they've found a Saturday a really profitable day to work and, and they'll do those long hours. I, I was a bit like you, Craig. I, I really valued my weekends and... Um, found that uh, having a Saturday off was a pretty early priority in my in my prof- professional career, and so I, I tried to ensure that um, I think yeah probably similar eighteen months to two years you know I moved into working uh, Melbourne CBD and uh, wasn't really much requirement for Saturday work which suited me just fine. Um, and even to this point, you know, I've opened up my own clinic in Docklands and, um, you know, I don't work Saturdays. Yeah. There's no there's no need for it. I do have strategies around it. I start early um, two days a week um, and then I finish late two days a week. So I do make it available for patients who can't fit those normal hours. Um, but in my opinion and for my uh, personal well-being, uh, I don't mind if someone... in who works with me mm. wants to work on the Saturday? That's fine. They can, um, but I'm not going. I don't impose that on people either. Um, and I find that most patients, if they want to see Craig or if they want to see Matt, and you, they're op- you're open outside of regular hours, they'll find a way to get. Yeah. 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 And and look, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Craig, do you have any sort of daily daily things you do? Obviously, uh, we're both osteopaths, so our our work is is generally pretty physical. You're on your feet all day. You're, you know, luckily, I, I think it's great that we're moving a lot all day, but you know that has some challenges. Uh, one thing I certainly find is because we're looking down a lot of the day, um, looking down the patient on the table, that you know I stiffen up in my upper back. Do you have anything that you tend to try and? Uh, do every day to, to limber up, I guess, or maintain? Yeah, I, I try to do some form of activity every day, whether that's getting out for a ride or um, just going and walking the dog. So I do definitely try to get my body moving prior to going to work. Now, not always, but more times than not, um, as I find that that helps me mentally as well. Mm. 
I generally try to have a, um, a elongated lunch break. Now, I, I use the word lunch loosely. I, it, it varies, and sometimes it's you know two o'clock till four o'clock, or sometimes it's it's just prior to midday because you know patients can often get in during their lunch break. But I do try to have that um, a bit of a larger period there where I can again go really take myself out of that clinical space um, and then that I feel a lot more comfortable treating later into the evening um, or I feel comfortable having already treated from earlier in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And look, I, I guess um, from that perspective as well and, you know, as a, as a new practitioner, you will have other practitioners hopefully available to you to, to talk to about these things and if you are struggling... Um, you know that's what your your clinical directors should be there for. Um, you know it's really important to have those sort of mentors to to help with uh, some strategies around around self care. I, I certainly know a little bit different, but when um, when my my first child was born, uh, you know dealing with the fatigue, uh, you know the expectations of being a new father, the the uh, some various other things around that. Um, and trying to maintain, you know, my my clinical hours, etc. I needed to lean on my my colleagues a little bit there, just for just for some advice around that because you know I was exhausted. I really was, and and uh, trying to structure my day a little bit differently to to look after myself. Um, you know, not afraid to say it. I, I had a power nap in the afternoons because you know I, you know I, there were nights where I'd only have two three hours sleep. Um, and caffeine helped, but it did. It wasn't all and all to get me through. There's no baby running around the clinic either. Yeah, so you can get that time right. Exactly right, and and you know those conversations were invaluable. And and reaching out, I I, don't, I just think you know don't be don't try and be too brave. Um, you know we've all gone through those sort of times here and there, and having having those uh, mentors are, are really great. Um, and the other thing is also. Um, Having some people that you can talk to that aren't necessarily in the same profession, I think, is really good. Um, conversely, also having people that are, you know, friends, obviously, are brilliant, who are going through similar things to bounce off. But And I, I'm going to say pick pick and choose your targets there. Um, make sure that if you are going to help debrief with um, friends, uh, especially allied health friends, um, you don't want to feel like you're in a situation where you can't, where you can be embarrassed or because yes. you're not going to you're not going to necessarily communicate everything to them so you've got to be really strategic with who you pick to be um your um i guess your confidant mm-hmm. um and uh there are some things that you do need to run past other allied health because they're they will understand um but yeah, be be strategic and be mm. be pretty aware of who you can and can't trust, and um, you don't want to feel belittled for asking a question or get seeking advice off somebody. Um, absolutely, absolutely, and and look, and that's where the value of having someone who's been through it before uh, is really really important. Uh, look, uh, I guess moving on from, from that side of the, the conversation, Craig, I think the one thing that new graduates will find is that, uh, you know, they're really keen to get their patient numbers up, these sorts of things. And, and that can be to the detriment of, of doing things like taking time off. Yep. You know, you, you think that you're, you're uh, you know, you're building, you're building, you're building. The, the last thing you want to do is take a fortnight off, you know, once you've, you've finally got your teeth in and you're, you're building your numbers. But 
Uh, I can't personally stress how important it is to get away for, you know, even if it's a week here or there. Um, I always joke that my body tells me when I need a break, but um, it, it's kind of true. But certainly those first couple of years of practicing, I, I didn't take time off nearly as much as I probably should have. Um, and it, it's difficult to to really know what the signs are that you, you need a break. Um, a couple of things I looked out for, Craig, and I don't know if you, you had this sort of similar experience, but um, it was more shortness with patience, maybe uh, distractibility. You know, weren't listening as intently as you should have, um, you know, pining for the end of the day. Um, and, you know, I th- okay, no, nah, I need to step away. I need a break. I need to have a week off here and just just really, really de-stress. Yeah, I was there. The Probably not coming into Christmas because I think, you know, the, the, two, you know, the days are getting a bit longer and what, but definitely the second half of last year, I, I didn't get to take my holiday. We had something come up and we had to, we couldn't go. So um, I went way too long as someone who very much values the, the balance between um, work and, um, and not work, uh, the <laughs> work-life balance, I couldn't, um, I just, I wasn't in a good place, I don't think. Um, looking back on it, I definitely think that I had the element of uh, that, exactly what you're saying, a bit, a bit short, maybe just not normal high energy self. And um, I, I think it has to come back to the fact that we didn't we didn't take that time off. And um, I'm, I don't worry, I'm making up for it this year. I'm actually going to be away a lot. But the, the, the fact is that if you don't, if you don't get there, you'll you'll go into a spiral, and I, I think a really key part is, and we'll talk about mental health, I think, in a second. But um, sometimes you don't know you're in that space until afterwards. Yes. Um, and you might need someone to tell you even. Mm. Um, and you know, the um, the lady who works with me, she um, she just came to me one day and she said, Is "Everything everything going all right?" And I. Like actually, yes, everything was fine, mm. but I wasn't fine, yeah. and um, and that was a real uh, turning point because I think that's the first time she she'd ever really sort of articulated that to me. And I'm like, yeah, actually, it's just I just need a break. Yeah, yeah, and, and look, it's good that you you could see that. Um, the one thing you you do have to remember as well as a practitioner is you you're on all the time. You are on all the time, and and sometimes you hear some pretty horrible stuff and, and being able to put those firewalls in place is really important and, and trying not to take on every one of your patient's problems and that, that comes with experience but that can weigh pretty heavy on you and, and it is really important. I, I've certainly found debriefing really important. Um, you know, my wife's medical and so we, we will, she will often debrief probably a bit more than I do, but she needs to do that and I understand that. And it's a bit, a bit the same, um, you know, there's some things where you, you might just get home and something just doesn't sit that well with you. Um, and so being able to talk about it is really good. Um, but I also have friends within the profession who we, we have that relationship as well, where there's, you know, there could be a day, hey, can I give you a quick phone call and just, just have a quick chat about it. Um, and getting it off your chest can sometimes just be super important, just really, really important and such a simple thing to do. 
And I think, uh, you know, within your, your friendship network, you'll find that uh, there are more than enough people that would be happy to, to help with that. Yeah, I really try to make the distinction between um, when I'm at work and when I'm not. So I, I must say I'm probably a bit like you, Matt, and I don't find that I debrief a lot. Um, but there are the times where you're just like where you're just thinking I need to I just need to share this burden with someone, mm. <laughs> and um, I try to do that as much as possible from my clinic room. So I'll, I'll make the phone call there, and I really think I I really actually think about it as like the treatment rooms are a confidential space and I try then to leave all of the treatment in the room and when I leave I'm not thinking about work and I'm pretty good at not um, taking any of it home but yeah you're right there are the occasional ones where you where you do find that they linger on your mind. Oh, they slip through and and it it can happen it just happened to me last week you know and and there was a lot of uh my sympathetics were going haywire and it was really fascinating and I said that to the patient I mean you're giving off something because I am absolutely sweltering under here and and she she was like oh yeah I can you know I can feel that and it was it was really fascinating for me and I've that hadn't happened for a while and sort of I debriefed on that um and you know it, it was nothing really but it was just a, I sort of let my guard down a little bit which I think in that situation probably the patient needed as well um, so I it's, yeah it's just it happens and it's a it can be a relatively personal experience and uh, yeah we you hear things um, from patients that you don't expect at times you don't expect it mm-hmm. and um, it, they really can that's gonna be a bit of a sucker punch yeah. it's like oh um, what sorry what was yeah. that um, yeah. and you're obviously still listening but it, that's your instinct you're mm-hmm. like oh geez did he just say what I thought he said yeah. um, and uh, you know, it's it again. It comes back to that mental fatigue too, because you you need to address that at the time, um, in the way that best um, serves the patient. But that might still then require some external extra processing from you. And if, in particular, I find the hard ones are when you know a patient relatively well already. Um, if something unusual then um, creeps up, it can be a bit of a shock. Um, and you have to uh, approach that. Oh, right absolutely, way. absolutely. And look, uh, and I guess the the other word of advice I would give to to practitioners is around um, destimulating, particularly at the end of the day. And I think the big one is uh, social media. Um, there's a lot of discussion forums. I know within the within the osteopathy field, uh, physio as well, medical. There's a there's heaps of them now. Um, and people are engaged with, basically engaged with their job all day yeah. and then all night. And so uh, that, that can weigh on you really heavy uh, really quickly um, and you, you're not giving yourself time to switch off. Uh, the two things that I, I make sure I do is um, I run and I read and, and one of the, it's, they're really important to me. So three mornings a week I'll go for a run um, and you know at least an hour which is just my time and then every night I, I switch off device around nine o'clock and I'll read for an hour and and it's just a, a really great way to de-stimulate try not to read anything about work you know I won't be reading research articles or anything like that um, 
you know, I, I prefer non-fiction, but it's generally not to do with work. And so um, it's, you know, it's a really good way to try and de-stress from the end of the day. And it's just a strategy that I employ. It's funny to say that we have a, a, at our house, we put the phones, they, they do all their charging and hanging out in the kitchen. And um, it just means that when you're in the living room, <coughs> excuse me, when you're in the living room, you're talking to people or you're watching uh, you might be watching a TV show or whatnot, but you're not engaged in that um, social media, um, you know, all the time. Um, a couple of other things, Maddie, I just wanted to go through. Um, I'm conscious of not letting this this mm. potty go for too long. So, with um, techniques, um, you know, being conscious of what techniques you can do on which patients, mm. and um, being pretty uh, conservative because your body needs to stand up to a relatively physical job for a, uh, for a long time. So um, I have some rules around which techniques I'll do with different patients, whether it's a lift that, you know, typically I won't lift people who are bigger than myself. And I realise that it, I'm already, you know, I'm six foot and 80 odd kilos. So, so if you're using that metric, someone who's, you know, five, six, and 60 kilos, there's less patients they can lift, so you need to develop the techniques that work for you. Um, and that then comes back to keeping yourself in, in a somewhat of a state to be able to treat, um, because it can be a relatively physical job. Um, and that can just be some you know, low-level resistance training or um, just some kind of activity where you are um, conditioning your body and allowing your body to adapt to a point where it can tolerate the load of treatment like I think that's a really uh, fair thing to um, to talk about um, in terms of what I do <clears throat> myself to um, look after my mental health I know that if I treat um, and actually the um, uh, my colleague as well we both have an upper limit of what we can we can do a day and it's not a physical limitation it's a mental limitation mm-hmm. and I very rarely I usually see 10 patients um if i see more than that and it does happen from time to time um emergencies and whatnot um but once i get past that point i know mentally i'm not all there for that patient Mm. and um or sorry i should say it's more of a challenge to be mentally there for that patient and um though in those cases i just have to i just have had to set that as my limit and um i do other things as well to get out of the the treatment room so um both Matt and I um, do a little bit of clinical work at um, the university, which allows us to, to, to have some non-treatment um, room focused work as well, uh, which allows, I think, a good uh, change and a bit more of a di- different dynamic. You know, the treatment room, you're very much on with your patients all the time, but it's a relatively solitary job. Uh, whereas working in another area like the university, it's much more communal. Um, it, it's more of a, um, a team environment. Uh, and I find that that's a really good balance for yeah. me personally. Um, so being able to identify what your what you can do, and you won't know this probably when you start, you might find that you know, there are people who treat 20 patients a day and mm. they're completely fine right. with that. And that's, yeah. That's all power to them. That's fine. Um, I just know that that's where my limit is. Yep. And if I want to be in allied health for an extended period of time, that's where I have to set my limits. Yes. Um, so using, um, trying to tailor it to yourself over a period of time. 
Yep, uh, really good point, Craig, and I think that's a really good point to finish this podcast on. Uh, thank you very much for the question, Amy. It's a great question. I think we might retouch that subject, Craig, because there's a lot of lot of detail to go through that. But if you have any questions or particular struggles that you want, you know, need some advice on, please feel free to uh, contact us at prackready at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram uh, at prackready. Uh, yeah, it's a really, really important topic and something that you, you've got to get right. And look, if you're really appreciating the podcast, please feel free to donate and hit that donate button there and share it. Uh, share it with colleagues and friends and whoever out and spread the word because, uh, you know, it's a really important thing and some really important information going out there. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Craig. Have a good afternoon and uh, loving the lycra. I'm going to go get that coffee. That's it.